turn there in your Bibles. I don't put the primary text on the screen ever because I do want you to follow along in your Bibles. And if you're a guest today, then we want you to know that we do take a good part of our Sunday mornings simply to teach the Bible one book at a time. And this is how we're currently in a major study of the, of the epistle of Ephesians. And it's, it's been a good study. I've had you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, but Ephesians 1.18 has been a key prayer. Oh yeah, kids go. Yeah, we've got run away. Anything but this. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Ephesians 1.18 a key prayer throughout this study, so I'd like for us to say this prayer together. I think we have it here on the PowerPoint. This, is, of course, is adapted from Ephesians 1.18, so let's, let's read together uh, this prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great power for us who believe in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was preparing this study, it was, of course, before the whole Jessica Ridgeway event uh, took place. Um, I was in Mexico hearing this thing unfold, and I brought back more than a tan from Mexico. I'm dealing with a parasite today, so I'm just excited because in my weakness, he is made strong. And uh, we'll just get as far as, as we'll be allowed. But uh, <laughs> it's just the way it is, yeah. Um, anyway, um, I just wrote the question, if or would you entrust a small child that you care for deeply into the hands of someone who had recently been released from prison? And just think about that for a moment. And then consider that if your first response to that question is no, then you've just written off some of the greatest saints in all of history. Because throughout the history of the church, and, at, and perhaps at no time greater th than the time we're in right now, and I probably shouldn't even use the, the word greater, uh, in such magnitude as the time that we're in as right now, Christians have been persecuted for their faith, facing prison and even execution. Now, I don't know if you've been following the events in Iran concerning Pastor Yusuf, but he's a young pastor, a father, a uh, young father uh, who's been about the gospel of Jesus Christ in Iran. And three years ago, he was arrested, thrown into prison for no other reason other than the fact that he was proclaiming Christ. And uh, we prayed for him. He, he was facing execution this entire time. And we just all rejoiced a few weeks ago when at last he was released, okay? <laughs> but he's a small example of what goes on in our world. And many Christians today are, are suffering and they're dying for, th for their faith. And the reason I share this is because two times in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about being in prison. And if it's very interesting here in verse 1, if you look at this, he doesn't say he's the prisoner of some municipality, but instead he says he's a prisoner of Christ. And you read that at first, and we struggle with this because we know Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So which is it? I mean, does Christianity become something of trading one form of bondage in for another, and what's going on here exactly? How is it that he's a prisoner of Christ? Look at the verse there, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, 
the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now hold on to my question, and we'll come back to it, but first let's just look at this verse a little bit uh, in, in detail. Notice the words Paul says, for this reason. And what he's doing there is he's pointing us back to where we were a few weeks ago in, in chapter 2 when we saw that God had destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that had separated, and I put this in quotation marks now, the unclean Gentiles, and that would be you and me, we're the unclean Gentiles from the very clean Jews, from God's chosen people. And this wall has been destroyed. In the minds of some Orthodox Jews in Paul's day, Gentiles, non-Jews, these unclean people were considered to be nothing more than dogs. And the sad thing that was going on, even in the church, as Jews were being converted to the faith, they were still holding on to this idea, and therefore they refused to fellowship with believing Gentiles. But to Paul, God has revealed a mystery. And that mystery is that through Christ, Jews and Gentiles can stand together before the throne of God. In this day, at this time, that would have been unheard of. But what we need to understand is that the ground is level at the cross. All may come. All may come freely. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what label someone has given you. The ground is level at the cross. So those Jews who tried to uphold the law but continually failed, and those Gentiles who had little regard for the law, if any, whatsoever, through Christ now become one man, and as one man can stand before a holy God together, united. Now, this is the argument that got Paul thrown into prison in the first place. I want you to see this. If you go over to Acts chapter 21, verse 27, and I have this on the PowerPoint here, you see these words. This, this describes events leading up to Paul's arrest, where it says this. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks, these Gentiles, these unclean people, into the temple area and defiled the holy place. Horrible. And what we have here is we have Paul, who was once a leader in Jewish hatred of these unclean Gentiles, now becoming an ambassador to the very people he once looked down upon. Because he's understanding the mystery. God is revealing it to him. But frankly, this is part of Paul's transformation. And from the moment Paul found Christ, or Christ found Paul, his mission is to reach all men, particularly he's on mission to the Gentiles. And as a result, wherever Paul went, he established churches where Jews and Gentiles are worshiping and fellowshipping together. This is about the glory of God being manifest. So it was about this very purpose that... Uh, that, that um, um, that he is, he's motivated because God has shown him things 
that could not be seen before. Please understand that when we talk about mystery, we're not talking about some creepy thing or some secret that God's trying to, to keep from us, but it's about that which will be revealed in its proper time. And so now we have Paul, who is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. How does this work? Well, Paul has laid it all on the line for the cause of the gospel. Paul has laid it all on the line for bringing these, uh, the, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ to these Gentile people. As a result, he's been arrested. Imagine, just put yourself in Paul's shoes, that you're giving your life to the very purposes of God, and the next thing you know, you're in chains for that very thing, that you, for doing the right thing. And this is what's taking, taking place right here. You know, it might cause you to wonder, where is God in all this? Even to the point where you want to shout, like our old friend used to say, Jesus, pay attention. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what I'm dealing with? But what we need to realize is not only was Paul a prisoner of Christ, in order to understand that, we have to understand another part, and that is if you go over to verse 7, you see that Paul is also described there as being a minister of the gospel. And these two things are working together right here because he's a minister of the gospel who just happens to be in prison for the sake of the gospel. And what this means and what Paul is saying is that no matter what circumstances he finds himself in and no matter what difficulty he may be facing, this is another opportunity for the glory of God. And if I'm in chains, I can preach the good news of the kingdom just as well as I can preach the good news if I were not in chains. Chain me to a prison guard, and I'll be an ambassador of the kingdom to that prisoner guard. See what's happening here? This is how he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's a prisoner in the sense that he happens to find himself here, but he's still operating out of his ministry. Very, very important. So here we come to some application, all right? In line with what we just saw, do you find yourself right now in some sort of prison? Please believe God for your freedom. Don't give up in the pursuit of liberty. That's God's plan for you. But as you have opportunity to share the good news with those who are around you, proclaim the kingdom because you are a prisoner of Christ for the sake of your fellow inmates and fellow guards. And that may break down in different terms for you. Are you ill? Please believe God for healing. But as people come around you in your suffering to minister to you, see that as an opportunity for the kingdom. You are a patient of Christ for the sake of those caregivers who may come around you. Do you have a job? Celebrate the fact that you have a place to go to work each day, but your primary purpose for going to work isn't to pay the bills, isn't to make a living. Your primary purpose is to be a workman of Christ for the sake of your fellow associates. So if you're a business owner or you're an employee, that you have opportunity there for the glory of God. Are you a student, a student of Christ for the sake of your fellow students and teachers? This is what's going on here with Paul. He's a prisoner. He just happens to be in prison, but he's still about 
Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. But there's another application here that's built off something I said a moment ago, and that's this idea that prison can be a very discouraging circumstance. Okay, none of us gets excited about the idea of finding ourselves being locked up because we've done the right thing. But what we need to do is allow our circumstances to point us to trust in God, that God can be glorified in all situations. Instead of wondering where God is in all this, believe that God can use your present circumstances for His purposes and for His glory. Now, I, I don't suggest that God puts us into hardships because He wants to advance His kingdom. But what I am saying right here is in a fallen world, bad things happen even to the people of God. And if at that point you find yourself in a hardship or a difficulty, if you will trust God, he will take that which was intended for your harm and he will use it for a greater good. Amen? Yeah, so there's a couple of applications just out of verse 1. Now in verse 2, he begins to work on this mystery. So let's go on. He says, surely you have heard about the administration. Now, two times in the NIV, the word administration is used here. But if you look at the original language, they're two totally different words. We'll see the second one in, in just a minute. But this first word is the word oikonomia. Okay, now you should know the first part of that word. This is a compound word because I talk quite a bit about oikos, and we've been seeing the word oikos quite a bit as we've been in the study of Ephesians because it's talking about household. It's talking about sphere of influence. It's talking about family. And so what we have with, uh, with this, is, this is family, but you add namia to it, and what it's talking about is the rule of the house. Okay, it's talking about the rule of the family. So when you read this, you can read it this way. Surely you have heard about the new rule for the family. All right, here we are talking about God having destroyed this dividing wall of hostility so that Jews and Gentiles can work together. And Paul says, you've heard about the new rule for the house. And then he goes on, of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as i have already written briefly in reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of god's by the spirit to god's holy apostles and prophets all right so we read these words holy prophets and apostles, and we want to tie that to the Old Testament, but he's not talking about Old Testament. He's talking about currently, right now, in the church. It's very important you see that. He says, this has not been made known in previous generations, but it's being made right now, being made known right now through the apostles and prophets. What is this mystery? Hear it again. Now, verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant. And the same word there could be minister. It's fascinating to me that the word worship can mean servant, and the word minister can mean servant, because it's all about this kind of serving in the kingdom of God. 
became a, a minister, a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So a mystery, something that's hidden until it's appropriated time. It was God's intention all along that Jews and Gentiles should work together and minister together, but Jews couldn't see it. There were many prophecies. Isaiah spoke some 700 years ago, this prophecy from God, saying, I will also make you Jews a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now hold on a minute. God blessed the Jews so that they would be light to the Gentiles. But instead, the Jews let it go to their heads to become prideful, which is such human nature that instead of allowing themselves to become light to the Gentiles, they began to write the Gentiles off as being unclean. This is a picture of human nature that somehow we need to get one up on people and we get one up on others. We've got to hold on to it because we like to hold our positions. And this does not glorify God. Just another example of the fallenness of humanity. So here we see three parts to this mystery. And I want to break this down. The first one we saw in verse 6, that Gentiles should become joint ears. The Jews protest, are you kidding me? How are we supposed to let these unclean Gentiles into our family? We're not going to do it. But for Paul, it wasn't just a matter of letting the Gentiles into the family. For Paul, it was a matter of letting the Gentiles know not only are you now part of the family, but now everything that is ours that we share in the family of God is now yours to share as well. It's all there for you to benefit from. And for the Jews of this day, particularly those Jews who would have rejected, rejected Christ, this is a horrible proposition. And, and listen to how this compares to the prodigal son now. Because in, in their minds, Gentiles are those people who've been eating with the pigs. Desiring what the pigs are benefiting from. The Gentiles are those who had squandered God's wealth and therefore should not have access to God's kingdom riches. In contrast, they saw themselves, these Jews, as those who have worked hard in God's kingdom all of their lives. Why would God go running to this unclean Gentile, throw a robe on his back, put a signet ring on his finger, and then throw a feast on his behalf when, hello, God, we're the ones who have been working hard for you our entire lives. You see it? This is what's going on here. And, and these Jews are saying, we will not be one with anybody who proclaims such a message. In fact, we will imprison and even execute anybody who proposes the idea of Gentiles coming into the household of God because they're blinded to the mystery. And the application here is God help us as believers not to decide who should or shouldn't enjoy God's kindness. And yet we as the church, we go around and, and somehow act as if we've obtained something, wondering what's wrong with everybody else and why they don't get it. And we're being dishonest about the miracle that revealed things about God's kingdom to us and allowed us to become partakers in the kingdom. If God can do it for you, he can do it for anyone. 
Okay? So there's the first part of the mystery that God has made available to all of us Gentiles the full benefits of kingdom riches. We're now part of the family. Going on, verse 8. Paul says, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Now, this isn't the second part, but I just had to stop here and just think for a minute. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is saying, although I am less than the least. I really do not like the idea of being less than the least. I, I just d don't see myself giving up any territory to claim the high position of less than the least. And sometimes I wonder, and even considering a scripture like this, could the, this be what's limiting my potential in the kingdom? Can anybody here relate to what I'm saying? Huh? And yet it's here in this position of less than the least that Paul says God revealed this mystery to him. Going on. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration. There's the second word. Not oikonomia, not the new rule of the house, but this word is koinonia. This is the word fellowship here. So to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the fellowship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Now watch this. His intent was that now, through the church, okay, now just tap yourself on the shoulder and say, that's us. Right? So this is us. Right? Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch the second part of the mystery? There. Not only do we as those unclean Gentiles have access to all the benefits of the kingdom, riches, and power, but now God is saying there are things that the angels of heaven and the demons of hell do not know and they do not understand and they will not know them and they will not understand them until they are revealed to them by the function of, yeah, the church of us. And over and over again, we talk about the, the testimony to the world, the testimony the church has to the world, where Jesus says, by this all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. And how the scripture says, Father, Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer, Father, make them one that the world may know that you have sent me. And we talk about, wow, in our oneness, if we'll become one as a body, that's the testimony of the church that we're truly God's people. But right here, it's building on this, and it's saying that we become ministers and messengers to the demons of hell and the angels of heaven in the spiritual realm. So that means demons and angels don't have all the answers. In fact, Peter says over in 1 Peter 1.12 that the angels are anticipating getting some of their answers to some of their questions. And some of that will only happen as we become one. And yet two weeks ago, I just got stifled up here because I just felt how superficial is this idea of oneness in our wealthy culture? It's impossible. 
It's impossible for me. I don't know how to tell you that we become one. <laughs> we don't meet in the streets and greet each other that way. We run to our homes, and we're insulated in our private kingdoms. And we don't have room for a whole lot of people because we're going here, we're going there. Next thing you know, flitting here, flitting there. And you want us to become one? Wait a minute, I've got a huge agenda going on here. But can we at least see that it's God's desire that we become one and unless the power of the Spirit is at work in us, that's not going to happen? And if it's not going to happen, that means that the angels of heaven and the demons of hell are never going to get the complete answer. Well, they are going to get the complete answer of his manifold wisdom. It's going to happen. The question is, will we be part of the testimony? And how we need to take all of this serious, because there's something about us becoming one that not only sends a message to the world that God is alive and making a difference in the lives of those who trust him, but also speaks truth into angels and demons. I want to be a part of that message. Well, there's a third part of the mystery, verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So the first part of the mystery is that God would accept us not unclean, non-Jews into his family, put all of his benefits at our disposal. God help us to walk in his benefits. And we're not doing it. We're going to see in, in just a minute here. Okay, we're not doing it. The second part of the mystery is that we as a church are revealing things to demons and angels, things they do not understand that can only be revealed to them as we're functioning properly as the church. But notice the third part of the mystery. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This has to do with prayer. This has to do with our capacity to approach God without fear of his holiness because his holiness is a consuming fire. And would anything impure dare to approach a holy God who is like a consuming fire? We can't do it, but right here we see we have direct access. And yet we're hesitant in prayer. We have people right here this morning in this church hearing me teach who the, the idea of writing a prayer request on that response card is unheard of because to them to communicate a need in your life is a sign of weakness. And they're sitting right here today. In fact, we have people sitting in the church right now who will not write a prayer request on the card because it'll upset the person sitting next to them. And they don't want to reveal any form of weakness in their lives. God have mercy on us. And we have other people who say, why should we pray? Because God already knows everything. What's the purpose of prayer? And we don't understand prayer. We refuse to operate out of prayer. And what to realize is that it's a mystery and a mystery is not some secret God is keeping from us but rather it is that which will be disclosed in its proper time and friend right now is the time to understand that God desires to be glorified and the only way he's going to be glorified is when at last we approach him and fall at his feet and say Lord we need you like never before that's right so prayer is not a sign of weakness, but instead 
Prayer is tapping into the incredible power source that God has put at our disposal. We're all the stronger as a result. And yes, God is all-knowing. It's true. But do you know what? The more people pray, the more prayers get answered. How does that work? I don't know. I don't even want to figure it out. But it works. And too often we want to treat prayer like it's some kind of vending machine. You know, you put the right amount of money in, you push a button, and out comes exactly what you want. And that's not the way prayer works. In other parts of the world where they're not as smart as us, they just pray and God moves. And how we need to approach God with confidence. What an awesome privilege to approach God with freedom and with confidence. The thought for most of us of approaching some powerful world leader would be staggering. We wouldn't even consider it. I mean, we'd be nervous. How do I do this? How do I go about it? What's, what's my proper action standing before this ruler? And yet God says to you as a believer, the God and creator of the universe, the supreme ruler of all times, he says, my throne is open to you. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. And how I long to give you good gifts if you'll just trust me. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our to God in prayer. I want to sing some more of this, but just listen to the second verse here. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. I disagree. We get discouraged. I'm blown away as a pastor that if I say I am discouraged, how people jump to try to fix me. Oh, you can't do that. But if, if discouragement weren't an option, we wouldn't have so many scripture verses that tell us how to come out and come through discouragement. It happens. But how do we respond? Okay? It goes on. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There you go. There's the victory. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's, read, let's sing this third verse together. Valerie, can you give me a note? Because I was too low that time. Do you have one? Weak and heavy laid.
Amen. Well, let's conclude with this final verse, verse 13. Paul says this, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So Paul's concerned that they're discouraged for him because here he's been faithful to preach to them. And, you know, would they carry that too heavily? And instead, Paul says, my sufferings for you are your glory. How are Paul's sufferings their glory? I mean, first off, if Paul hadn't been preaching to these Gentile believers, he wouldn't be in prison right now, right? But on the other side, if you think about it, if he hadn't been preaching the gospel, then these believers at Ephesus, these Gentile believers, would not have experienced the transformational life that God has made available to them. They're walking in it right now. They're experiencing it because Paul was faithful to preach, preach the gospel. And the way it works is just like a mother will go through the horrible pains of childbearing to, in order to bring forth new life into the world. There are pains that are part of bringing new life into the kingdom. And so Paul's saying that everything I'm going through are for your glory because it's producing fruit through you. And he's saying, I would do it all over again. A friend of mine who used to travel and speak quite a bit, now he sends out speakers all over the world and the country used to make available a, a t-shirt where it said, it's hard, but it's worth it. Jesus said these words in Matthew 16, 24. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And I don't often have what I would call a difficult word to give to the church. I think I'm really faithful to, to the scriptures. I feel like God has called me to the good news of the kingdom to encourage and to build up, and that's what I want to be about. But there's something going on in my spirit right now that says, God, have mercy on the church for reducing the Christian faith to nothing more than praying a little prayer of believing and to think that's the end, that's the fulfillment of your Christian experience. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus says, will you follow me? Will you take up your cross and follow me? And because of your belief in me, will you lose your life for the sake of finding it, laying it all down? him. This is what he's talking about. You know, the demons in hell believe Jesus is Lord, and it makes them tremble, but it doesn't change them one iota. Are we different as we believe and as we follow? Or have we bought into this Christianity that we can justify everything because if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed, and therefore we write off all responsibility of making any kind of progress or bearing fruit for the glory of God. Abide in me, Jesus said, and you will bear fruit. 
So, you know, as we think about the study of Ephesians, the reason that we're studying Ephesians, and, and as I've said before, that if, if you gain anything, if we should gain anything from the book of Ephesians, I hope that it will help us to understand what is ours in Christ Jesus so that we can begin to walk in and live out the very benefits that he's put into our hands. And we see today three encouraging statements. One, we have access to all kingdom benefits, to all power and all the good things of the kingdom, and God wants us to use them right now. Secondly, that as we become one, we become a message to the demons of hell and the angels of heaven in order that they might better understand the manifold wisdom of God, but not only to them, to a world that's looking desperately, where is God anyway? Show me, right? And then third, we have access to his throne. And we can come before him as children, and we could cast our cares before him, and we can know he cares for us. That, my friends, is the word of God. I'm going to just sit down here a minute, and I'm going to just let the Holy Spirit take over. This is your time to be quiet before God. Consider what you heard this morning. Ask God what you're supposed to do with it. And then just make some notes. Just take some time, you and him.